This is a Stimulus Network podcast. The Cosmic Shed. Hello and welcome to The Cosmic Shed. I'm Andrew and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined again for this episode by Lizzie Daly, the wildlife biologist, wildlife broadcaster and conservation filmmaker. Long-time listeners to The Cosmic Shed will remember that Lizzie joined us for our Spirit of Apollo episode some time ago and we refer back to that interview a couple of times in this conversation. If you want to find it, it's back in the archive from a couple of years ago, well, probably three years ago now. But I'm delighted to say that Lizzie joined me again for a conversation a few days ago. I'm good. I'm really good. Things are busy. It's late summer, so, you know, it's a a great time to be out filming, especially in the UK, but very good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. You say late summer, that doesn't fill me with great joy, to be honest. I like summer, although I suppose it's, you know, autumn's coming. Why is late summer a good time to be filming? I mean, it's just all the sea. It's funny. I kind of think of time in terms of like when the wildlife arrives and it's usually they arrive in spring. And um, I mean, we're kind of just past the peak. We're kind of going down the other end now. So, you know, the seabirds have arrived. They, a lot of them have already left. The warmer waters are brought in and is still bringing in a lot of marine life. It's just a good time to be in the sea, yeah. be outdoors, enjoy the rest of the summer before we enter the looming winter of the British winters. <laughs> yeah, negative, Win- winter is coming. It'll be all right. Winter. It's it's fine. I've seen the documentaries. It's fine when winter arrives. No, actually, it doesn't turn out all right, does it? Anyway, so um, I've seen you. Um, I've seen on your well, like since we last spoke, right? Yeah. Your your Instagram has been making me jealous with pictures of <laughs> puffins and orcas and jellyfish and Peru. What have you been up to? Yeah. So. Um... I've recently been filming with uh, BBC The One Show, which is really great. We've been doing some fascinating stories, not about, I guess, just the obvious wildlife, but things that maybe catch people off guard, such as the prehistoric lamprey or, you know, jellyfish, which people probably, there's a lot of misunderstanding around jellyfish species. Uh, We've been doing, you know, well, we are about to do a film on scorpions and spiders, so it's a it's been really great to be able to bring different species to to that larger platform mm. and then um yeah most recently i was uh in peru in the amazon so we went on a 10-day expedition to an unexplored area to collect data um which hopefully when we get the results back will benefit local community uh generally science understanding in the area about what species are present and um yeah it's can't tell you too much which is very annoying i hate it when people do that but uh it'll be out this november so you don't have to wait too long and uh it'll just be across all my social media it's in partnership with them ebio atlas and then a travel company called exodus as well so yeah it'll be great okay i said orcas i said i did say jellyfish to be fair yeah you said lamprey jellyfish yeah. scorpions spiders are you, do you are you okay with scorpions have you done that <laughs> film yet have you actually filmed it we filmed it yeah I mean I probably shouldn't be telling you all this but I don't know when this is coming out so I'm hoping it'll be after it comes out on the one show yeah we filmed Mm. scorpions um 
I'm going to tell you anyway. We filmed Scorpions in the Isle of Sheppey, and uh, it's brilliant. It's one of the most northerly populations of yellow-tailed scorpions. They've been introduced. They're not native here in the UK, but there's 15,000 or more living in the walls, this this kind of dock wall of Sheppey. It's unbelievable. They're so brilliant. They're... um. You know, they're not harmful to us. They'd probably sting you and deliver a bit of a a bit of a sting, a bit like a bee sting. But um, the telling thing with scorpions is to look at the size of their pincers versus their tail, their sting. And generally, the rule is if they have a small stinger, then they're not as harmful. If they have a massive stinger and tiny pincers, then that's when you've got to be worried. Okay. Okay. That's Just so you know, Andrew. That's good to know. I, to be honest, I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going to go digging around in the harbour walls, but as uh, Sheppy, but I, if I do, I'll remember that. So, <laughs> I, I, well, and spiders, right? Can you tell me? You're not going to tell me about spiders, are you? Because that's, that's I'm not. Nice film along. So, uh, I'm not. not. Yeah. I'm not, but I can say that spiders, I just. So I indirectly learn a little bit more about spiders because I was studying for my masters. I was studying along alongside this a wonderful naturalist called Joshua um, and he was looking at orb weaver spiders and he was just 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 masters was looking at um, the web design and just all these intricate things and he was actually he did inspire me to kind of look a bit deeper into the weird and wonderful world of spiders so it's an exciting I can't tell you too much but all I'm going to say is it's a very cool species of spider and quite hard to find in the UK so it's going to be exciting film yeah what when, so when you're making a film for the for the one show how does that work do they sort of say okay lizzie we, we want you to make a film about spiders we've found one or do you say to them it really depends i mean um it's kind of my relationship with the one show over the past year has grown quite a lot so you know the lamprey film for example i've been I've pitched to a lot of people in the past and they don't want it because it's an eel-like creature, it's jawless, it has rows of teeth and it basically is this prehistoric proppy thing that comes up into our rivers and then spawns and dies. So I think in terms of telly, it's not like (laughs) everyone's dream, you know, for their dinner watching one show. But um, I took it to them because I the thing that I loved about and why they loved it in the end was because I think it's a, I I love them. Like there's a real passion and, and want to go and find them. That mm. comes from a time where I saw them in Ireland quite a, quite a while ago. Um, we were filming something for BBC Earth for just YouTube and we managed to find one in Ireland in the River Shannon, which was such an extraordinary experience. But to have a platform like The One Show and to bring that to people in the UK and, you know, for something to look out for next year when they are in the rivers, I think it was just a, a really good combination where I was like, look, this is a story I love, a species I love, and our rivers really need more airtime. They understood that and they, they ended up really liking the film. So in that case, I took it to them. But, you know, since then, they sometimes come up with ideas or they have um, projects that come up or there's some great wildlife stories that just come up and then they kind of work with me on that, depending mm. on what it is. So it's a bit of a mix, really. Mm. It's a huge audience, isn't it? And it's it's not specifically a, a wildlife audience or a, um, a no. natural world audience, isn't it? Is that is that, is that something that pleases you? Yeah, it is. It's something that um, is challenging because sometimes when you watch it back and then you hear the reaction of other people, you see it on social media or even the reaction of the presenters on the one show is not always the most positive one. Like from the lampreys, there was a bit of like, oh, what are those? 
And thus, I think that is the challenge. And you have to be willing to go into spaces that aren't ones that you're, isn't a space that you're familiar with. You know, I, I get a lot from going outside of the echo chamber. Um, not necessarily, you're not going to have the greatest success always, but if you are able to change a few minds or, you know, to show someone something new, that to me is brilliant. It doesn't have to be, you know, a standing ovation, far mm. from it. Mm. You can just be someone going, you know what, I didn't know that. What an amazing thing to have in our rivers. Oh, I have a local river. You know, maybe I'll look at the river quality there and see if I have critically endangered or, you know, really well-established protected species in there. You never know what the ripple effect will be, but there is a lot to be said in kind of reaching out into those audiences and seeing what happens, really. Because there's the other thing that sort of sort of rocketed you into all of the audiences, I think, certainly felt like it to me, was that massive barrel jellyfish. Yeah. It's, but, isn't it, but do you feel like, have you had feedback from people? Do you feel like that's changed people's and the, the other stuff you've done with jellyfish? It's sort of changed people's views on them. Yes and no. Yes, in that um, it's always a great uh, um, grabbing image. It's always something that people go, oh, where the heck is that? That's in, the, that's in the UK. No, in our coast. It always does that. And I I love that. That really still kind of brings some really exciting conversations. And, you know, if I'm delivering a talk or a programme or whatever, it does lead to some really exciting conversations. And people are curious. People want to know what else we have on our coasts or how it got there or how deliberate movements of jellyfish really are instead of just floating blobs or, you know, who stung, what species stung my nan last summer, whatever it may be it could could be um is it has been a real like conversation starter no in the sense that there's still a big misunderstanding people are still kind of terrified of jellies I feel as the general general atmosphere and um you know I I get I get uh interviews still where I'm repeating I guess the same things but that, um, it's not going to change everyone's mind um I think jellyfish in particular though as we move forward are going to be a real focus as you know they're like the only group that are actually increasing due to the impacts of climate change so I think it's going to be an interesting conversation moving forward I'd love to do more on jellyfish and I feel like our understanding of how that impacts the rest of the marine environment is going to need to increase if we are to to keep up I guess with some of the the warming oceans and the changes that we are already seeing mm. No, I mean, they're incredibly beautiful things, aren't they? There's this, this kind of, there's the fear with them, but I think yeah. people see the beauty in them as well, whereas something like a shark, yeah. it's it's harder for people to see the beauty in a shark, I think. Yeah. So I do a bit of paddleboarding off the North Devon coast, and, um, oh, it's so good. It's so yeah. good. I, to be honest, I haven't seen anything um, beyond jellyfish and seals not that that's mm. a bad thing that's a beautiful thing to see um but i know that you've seen some incredible things in the waters around our country have you got any particular favorite encounters favorite encounters yes um orca are a big one oh, up nice. in shetland you yeah. have to get up there andrew you are oh, it's absolutely brilliant yeah. it's um uh I've been up to Shetland now three times, actually a few more times for something else uh, about seals. But um, 
Yeah, the orca there are really unique because obviously there's lots of different ecotypes of orca, but they're seal-eating orca. And there's a, a pod that are very well known around the coast of Shetlands called the 27s. And they are so brilliant to watch. It's just like a citizen science project for a photographer, for a family, kids, whatever it may be. They push so closely into the coastline that it's like watching a documentary play out in front of your very eyes. I had the you know, unique opportunity to take my mum, who has MS, uh, up to Shetland. She'd never normally get to have an encounter like that. And um, we were sat in the front of the car in a car park overlooking a very sheltered bay and in pushes an entire pod with two, the, the 27s, uh, with two males and towering dorsal fins and in they go. And they just start flushing out some of the seals in this bay. It's, honestly, it's hard to describe the overwhelming feeling. And I think the whole camaraderie and the, the excitement of everyone going together, strangers, friends, you know, whoever's on the island at the time, as soon as one person gets a WhatsApp or a notification, then everyone's off. So it's a real feeling of like the chase. Yeah. And um, I, I was very lucky to share that with 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 my mum, but it, more importantly, it also showcased how, for me, how nature is so inaccessible to a lot of people, not just for disabilities, but it is a close example, you know, of, of how it can be really difficult. And it meant so much to be able to do that. That's but that aside, Orca, my gosh, you should go because I, I mean, last year we were there and we saw, we were watching them for about four hours and I saw uh, one of the Orca come out of the water, its entire body out of the water multiple times. You know, it's just, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. It's just awesome. What's, just awesome. What's, what's the best time of year to go then? When do I need to book it? So you, yeah, book me Orca in. You can see them at all times of year around, um, around Shetland. Sometimes, right. um, in the middle of the summer say about june a bit earlier they do push to the hebrides a bit further south but i would say i always go in july time um yeah. when they kind of move on then to august september they may start hunting porpoises instead of seals but july for me has always been a bit of a winner good weather okay good okay. okay so i've got a slight problem here which is i love seals and these orcas are eating them and i, I can't i can't imagine what enjoying that watching that process well, you were going to tell me about something about seals Pembrokeshire. Yeah. We're very lucky in, in the UK to have huge number of grey seals and amazing marine mammals. And um, one of my other favourite places is uh, the Celtic Deep. So last year we were running trips out to the Celtic Deep. It's a, you know, a hundred metre drop. Um, it's a shelf, basically. It's only, only very small, but there you get a huge upwelling and huge amount of migratory species and exciting species that kind of live out there. That one day out on the Pembrokeshire coast and you get all types of weather and all types of challenges and seasickness. But it's so worth it because you get that moment where you spot a blue shark, you know, around the boat or nibbling at your fins. Um, and that one day that I was out, we saw a blue shark, a thresher shark and a poor beagle shark in one day. <laughs> It's just unbelievable. You just That's don't. amazing. Yeah, you just you just don't imagine that happening. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a magical place with you know super pods of common dolphin and bottlenose dolphin, and of course you've got the huge number of seabirds that come to our coast as well. So that stretch, that Celtic deep, kind of south of Ireland out towards the Atlantic, is really important uh, and definitely needs protecting sooner rather than later. Okay, so it's not protected at the moment. There are huge sections of it which is still unprotected. There's NPAs around 
um, around that coastline. Of course, there's the MCZ, the Marine Conservation Zone, which is slightly different. Won't go into all of that acronym nightmare, <laughs> but um, high, high level of protection around the SCOMA, SCOMA area, so the south of Pembrokeshire. And that has led to, you know, all the seabirds successfully now growing in populations there because there's such a high level of protection. There's eelgrass beds, sand eels, go on to, goes on to support so much more. So, mm. yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Tell me a bit more about blue sharks. I mean, you talked about orcas being visible off the coast. We're not going to be seeing blue sharks off the coast, are we? We have to go out in a boat to see them. Yeah, so blue sharks have one of the most kind of long migra- longest migrations out of all the shark species. Um, they're more of a, well, they are a pelagic shark. So what that basically means, they'll be more in kind of open ocean. Called blue sharks because they have this amazing blue colour. Um, but they are kind of listed as near threatened, I believe, on the IUCN red list. Um, best time to see them, June to October in UK waters. But, you know, we've got other species of shark that you can see quite easily on a snorkel. Small spotted dogfish, for example, that you can find in the kelp beds around our coastline all along Scotland, Wales, you know, it's really good places for them. Um, but yeah, they they kind of, in terms of what, how they get to the UK, they kind of go in a bit of a, a clockwise route. So they'll go, the they'll kind of follow the Gulf Stream to the UK from the Caribbean. Um, if you imagine like, yeah, a kind of a massive, um, how the Gulf Stream works, I can't explain this in the podcast, but yeah, don't worry. <laughs> massive circular pattern. Yes, um, following kind of equatorial currents so yeah that they they'll kind of be out feeding and then coming in to warmer waters as as we go through the summer months it's also why we get some species of turtle that rock up on our coastline because you know leatherback turtles actually do push into uk waters to feed on jellyfish Mm. Uh, but you also get species that aren't supposed to be here like the kent ridley turtles and what happens is that juveniles may leave you know the coast of like the gulf of mexico get caught in that kind of big current and be pulled across the atlantic um and get cold water shock and they're not able to get out of it and then they end up kind of rocking up on our west coastline so mm. it's a very dynamic part of our ocean you know out in that atlantic and that whole kind of gulf stream but um it does bring in some pretty epic species as well mm. lovely are you going to do those trips again then is that going to happen again? i think so i hopefully next year i think yeah I'm planning on going out to see if I can see anything else late. So kind of October time is a good time to see some of the whales feeding on um, some of the large kind of shoals of of small fish. So the plan will be to go out then. But in terms of actually running trips, I think I'll try again next year. Okay, that sounds good. I've been booking that as well. That'll be good. Um, Yeah, no, totally love that. Love to. So um, the other thing, at the risk of sounding like your PhD supervisor, how's your PhD going? Yeah. (laughs) good question it's it's great it's uh, again it's one of these things where um because I guess I I work as a a presenter as well you dip in and out of it so I'm doing a part-time PhD which for anyone doing a PhD I would recommend doing a full-time PhD (laughs) just because it's it's really hard to to maintain everything and obviously the PhD is an incredibly big project and something you really have to have all your heart and soul into and every time I get a a free moment a few weeks or a month where I'll kind of block out for that PhD I absolutely love it it's fascinating so I think I spoke to you last time about what my PhD is on and um, you know since three years in so Mm -hmm. um, you know just got a few more few more years left 
And it's really fascinating because it's kind of evolved into not just looking at elephants, but looking at state from gait. So um, basically identifying patterns in how animals move by using this methodology, these kind of tri-accelerometers, as they're called. So they gather fine scale behavioral data, but it's absolutely fascinating because we're able to map their behavior in such detail and we're starting to apply that to a few different species and see how it can fit into the really important ecological questions like stress behaviors or um environmental impacts and things like that amazing amazing it's great yeah that sounds really good it's funny though isn't it how things move these um anything that you're working on changes shape as you're working on it doesn't it yeah phd is no different in that Mm. um other thing that you're working on would be wild screen yes tell us about that so wild screen for those who don't know is you know one of the biggest if not the biggest uh wildlife film festival it's a real celebration of all natural history filmmaking broadcasters come together there's workshops talks sessions uh covering a variety of topics from you know how to tell a good story how to film how to include the right voices um covering many different topics It's also a brilliant just networking event to meet new people, to learn new things. I'm always absolutely buzzing for Wild Screen. Last year we did it from a, or during COVID I should say, we did it from a small barge uh, for an entire two weeks. We were on this barge with a tight team, an amazing team pulling it together. And we basically produced a whole week of content um, pretty much all day, every day for a week. Sorry, five days, I should say. But uh, it's brilliant. This year is going to be in Bristol. Lots going on and hoping to be kind of flying around. So if anyone's going, say hi. Yeah, yeah. You're going, Andrew, I am going. I am going as as a person to take it all in and also hosting a panel. Yeah. Can we talk about that panel or is that? I think why we can't do. Yeah, why don't you tell, you're producing it. Why don't you tell everyone? You're modding it. It's over (laughs) to you now. (laughs) Enough of me. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be talking about the relationships between scientists and storytellers in the mm. filmmaking industry. So how does that relationship between the, the science that's happening, the research that's happening, and those people who are doing that research, that how do their relationships with the filmmakers work and how can we make them work even better? I yeah. How do you, out, out of interest, yeah. what's your kind of general feeling about that? whole topic oh. it's a big one but where would you say we are with that i think it's in a really interesting space i, mm. I think that frozen planet 2 is about to start on i think sunday I don't, yeah it depends when i put this out but frozen planet's about to start my understanding i haven't seen it but my understanding is that the second episode in that series is going to be more of a call to action than we have seen before from those big blue chip things mm-hmm. is that what you understand it is what i understand okay so <laughs> you're gonna say okay so elusive so okay elusive. yeah no we're I- doing um very exciting we're going up to scotland um during that time and for any young people listening uh we're doing a live lesson around frozen planet so oh, that'll cool. be on bbc player brilliant next week Brilliant. Okay, cool. So I, I don't know. I, I, my own personal view is right, and I don't know if this is the question you are asking, really. But my own personal view is, I think there is room for an awful lot of different types of filmmaking, as and an awful lot of different types of effectively science communication within 
um, that filmmaking. And I think there's still a place mm. for something that is just about the beauty of it. It's just about that. You know, I think it's a Jacques Cousteau idea. It's easier to protect mm. what we love. You show people the beauty of it and they will protect it. But I also think there is a place for investigative journalism that goes right to the heart of the, the science and putting that right into the heart of um, the, those things. Um, mm. when, so you're a presenter. Mm -hmm. but but you you bring your own ideas into it right you're not just a yeah. voice right and it's your passion is if you when you're not doing your own things are you ever watching other people's work oh yeah all the time 100 percent. i if when i get time um i i don't watch as much as i should but um i think i've got colleagues and and other young people just even on social media they're doing amazing things like the whole push of activism work climate activism for me outside of gen getting general information from it maybe climate reports or um you know things out cop 26 for example i will be following a number of influential young people who are making huge waves in terms of you know the i guess having an impact on our climate so yeah i think it's really important also to look elsewhere yeah no, it is. I, I was going to ask you if you have any kind of recommendations for films or series that we should be picking up. Frozen Planet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, don't totally um, doing that one. So I've just seen is a, is a new new film that's come out uh, with Nat Geo and Dogworth Productions. It's called The Territory. Mm. Um, it's kind of a an inside look at uh, the fight for an indigenous community called then, I want to get this right, but the Uriri Wow Wow people against deforestation. From their perspective, the exec producer is an indigenous individual who, you know, has really kind of made her mark in terms of the social impact of what she does. But it's based in Brazil and it just looks really, really interesting. And yeah, I think they've got a lot of investigative footage um, exposing the reality of kind of this delicate ongoing fight of community risk and in, in um deforestation in these areas so mm. it's it's from the right voice and i believe it's going to be something that's yeah it's out tomorrow or today i'm not sure okay. yeah shouldn't put time on it it's out now okay brilliant that'll work um fantastic i'll check that one out as well yeah i just as i say i think there's you know there's so many different voices now in this in this uh worldwide film yeah. industry isn't there there's just there are just so many mm. different ways of doing it so many different ways of looking at it it's mm. um it's a beautiful thing uh and you can find out more about all of those sorts of things by going to things like wild screen Exactly. Uh, thank you so much to Lizzie Daly for joining me again for this episode of the cosmic shed and wild screen festival 2022 returns online and in person if you're in Bristol or can get to Bristol on October the 10th to the 14th this year. We'll post links to everything that was mentioned on the Cosmic Shed website, thecosmicshed.com. We'll be back at some point and thank you very much for listening. The Cosmic Shed. Science fact. Science fiction. And everything in between. This podcast is brought to you by the Stimulus Network.